Good morning, everybody. Did you already answer the question, how are you this morning? Did we do that? How did that go? They did? Well, it's, uh, it's great to be together again this morning, uh, to be able to worship the Lord together. Uh, we do that in our song, we, but we often think of just worship and singing as one and the same, and worship is definitely what we do when we sing, but it's also what we do when we spend time in God's Word. It's what we do when we give our money, our tithes, and our offerings. So it's so great for us to be able to be together to worship the Lord this morning. Um, as you can see up there on the screen, we're in week number two of our super short two-week series called Breaking the Rules to Heal the Broken. If you were here last week, you might know what this is all about. We're looking at two different encounters that Jesus had with a couple of people who were desperate in need of the help that only he could give. They were broken and they needed Jesus. Uh, we talked about the fact as well that this Jesus, he came to heal and save and he wasn't afraid of breaking the rules of the day, breaking the social conventions of the day in order to do so. Jesus didn't come as a rule breaker that's not his primary identity. He came as a people savior. But if the rules, if the conventions of the day, if that got in the way of his mission to save people, then he wasn't afraid to break them. Because he knew that saving lives was far better than keeping rules. That's always true. Saving lives is far better than keeping rules. And so breaking the rules to heal the broken. Now last week we looked at Mark chapter 5, if you remember, and we were looking in particular at the story of a woman who we said here is at the end of her rope. Being at the end of your rope, if you remember we talked about that, being at a place where you've come across something that's difficult, a challenging situation, and you maybe have a hopeless or a helpless feeling. You feel like you've come to the end of yourself. You, you have no more energy or patience to give to the problem and you just don't know what to do. That might be what we would describe as at the end of your rope. And so this woman, if you remember, she had a, a bleeding problem and she had had it for 12 years. She saw a bunch of doctors. She spent all the money that she had and yet instead of getting better, she was only getting worse. She had come to the end of herself. And yet, if you remember, she, she hears about Jesus. She sees Jesus. There's a crowd around, and so she kind of makes her way through the crowd. She reaches out, doesn't even touch Jesus himself, but touches his clothes. And that's enough. In that moment, boom, immediately she is healed. Today, we're moving on from that woman to talking about a different person. This is someone in a different life situation, different disease, and yet the same basic problem. This person was desperately in need of Jesus, desperately in need of the healing and the hope that he could give. From the woman at the end of her rope, this week, the leper entirely without hope. Without hope, that is, until one day when he as well has a life-changing encounter with Jesus. We're going to jump in in just a moment, but if we could commit this uh, portion 
of our time together to the Lord, that would be great. So let's bow before him. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to this place together and to worship you, to acknowledge you as God, to declare that you are our God, that we are your children, to say thank you for the life that you have given us, and to thank you for giving us your word. We can read about what has happened in the past, your works of the past, Lord. I pray that even as we read today, as we think about these things today, that you would speak powerfully into our lives. By your Holy Spirit, who is at work here right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The leper entirely without hope. We're going to be today in the book of Luke, chapter 5. So if you want to grab your Bible or your whatever you're reading, it's also going to be up here, so you can look at it here as well. Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Starting with verse 12, it says this, that while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So Jesus is in the midst of his teaching ministry He enters a town, and as he does, he comes across a person, a a guy who has leprosy. Leprosy. If you've spent much time in your Bible, you've seen this thing talked about, this disease talked about in the Bible. And it's actually uh, referring to a range of very contagious infections of the skin. So leprosy still exists today. You might have seen pictures of people who have it. It, 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 in the Bible, it wasn't exactly the same. So leprosy was a word that was given to a wide range of skin diseases in the Bible. And yet what kept those all together, what they had in common was that it was very contagious. Leprosy was contagious. So first off, it was a physical sickness. And again, you might have seen pictures, but a person who would have sores on their body, lesions on their body, and even bodily disfigurement. So it would disfigure sometimes your limbs, your hands, your feet, your face, even people whose eyes are gone completely. They have been disfigured because of leprosy. So physical sickness, and yet because of its contagious nature, it's also what I would say a social sickness. So this is similar to last week when we talked about the woman, remember? The woman is considered unclean unclean in society. Same thing with the person who has leprosy. 
They're considered unclean, so they must stay separate from everyone else in society. They can't just be a part of society like others who don't have leprosy. People with leprosy, they often lived alone or they lived in groups together and they were forbidden from having contact with anyone who didn't have leprosy. No contact whatsoever. If someone was found infected with leprosy, they weren't sent to Penny's Bay. <laughs> it is interesting that when we talk about diseases and how you can see some of the, the interesting correlations between what we do in society when, when we perceive a sickness or a disease to be a threat. If, if a person was, was found to be infected with leprosy, what they did was they, they had to tear their clothes. So they had to wear torn, disheveled clothes. They had to let their hair hang loose and grow. And they must cry out. So when they would do life, when they're walking, whatever, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, if anybody came close to them. Essentially, the person with leprosy is supposed to mark themselves. They mark themselves, the clothes they wear, the hair and the way they keep their hair, the words that they use. They are marking themselves for everyone else to see. Everything about them screams, stay away. Stay away from me. Don't touch. It's interesting. There's 61 different defilements that are highlighted in the, the ancient Jewish world. Um, leprosy was considered the second worst of all the ways that you could be defiled, and that's second only to a dead body. So basically this. In that time, it, it was absolute no. You cannot touch a dead body. That was like the worst unclean thing that you could possibly do, a uh, thing you could do. So don't touch a dead body. But right after that, the second worst thing you could do is to touch someone who has leprosy. That is how serious it is. Very serious. People must stay away. And yet another aspect of this disease was the way that it was often looked at by others. So, of course, the people who aren't sick, they just want to physically stay away from you. They don't want to touch you. They don't want to even get close to you. But among many at that time, there was a sense in which you, in getting leprosy, in dealing with this disease, are actually getting what you deserve from God. So there's a sense in which physical sickness or infirmity is judgment of God upon you for something that you did. You might remember, different story, different book of the Bible, John chapter 9. If you remember, there's a point when Jesus goes up to someone who is blind, a guy that's blind, and it's blind from birth, right? And the disciples, of all people, it's the disciples, people closest to him, they're like, Jesus, who was it that sinned? In order for this guy to be blind, was it him or was it his parents? Because there's got to be a connection, right? The reason he's blind, it has to be because he sinned. Some, somebody did something bad. So even the disciples look at this blindness as judgment of God on somebody. Jesus shut that down right away. He said, it's not about that. You cannot draw a clear line between sickness and God judging you. That's not how it works. Jesus says that directly to the disciples at that point. Now, that's someone who has 
blindness. They can't see. But that thinking pervaded society. So even someone with leprosy, there would be many who would view that as judgment of God. You are getting what you deserve. So again, imagine the person who is in this situation, the leper. They're physically unwell, obviously physically hurting. Socially, they are unwell because they are considered unclean. So they are outcast from society. And many people, because of their belief that you're getting what you deserve from God, I think you could also say spiritually, they're treated unwell as well. Spiritually, you're separate from God. You have no hope physically. You have no hope socially. You have no hope spiritually. Maybe the leper is the one who's at the end of their rope. (laughs) That is just an awful situation to be in. So we say here, I said, a leper entirely without hope. I think that pretty much says it. (laughs) Entirely without hope. Okay, that's leprosy. That's this person. Let's go back to the story. Jesus enters the town. he encounters a person with leprosy. It says the guy with leprosy sees him and immediately falls face down. Immediately face down in the dirt and begins to beg, crying out to Jesus for help. Entirely without hope, crying down or crying out to the Lord. Probably, just like the woman from last week, probably this, this leper had heard of Jesus, heard about this guy who's going around he, he, healing people. The message is out there, so people are hearing things. And probably this, this leper started thinking, well, maybe he could help me. Maybe he could actually do something for me. Nothing else is working. I have no hope whatsoever. Maybe Jesus would be able to do something about that. And considering his situation, you might as well give it a shot. It can't get any worse than it is. So he puts his face down to the ground and he cries out in desperation. If you are willing, if you are willing, Jesus, heal me. Jesus was willing. He responds to the man. He says, be clean. And just like that, immediately, this guy is cleansed. Again, just like last week, this is the power of Jesus on display. This is the power of Jesus. Immediately, things happen. Immediately, things change. Immediately, this man is healed. But, and I think it's important to stop right here, it's important to catch, before Jesus spoke anything to this man, the very first thing he did was speak with his actions. Before he uttered a word out of his mouth, communicated anything with his mouth, the very first thing he did was communicate with his actions. What did he do? The very first thing, he reached out 
and touched this guy. Oh, we just need to stop. We need to let that soak in. I mean, I do this all the time. I'm reading my Bible and I just read through stuff. Don't even give it a second thought. And some of it is like super profound and I'm not catching it. But man, we need to stop and, and be with these words and allow, allow God to speak to us about what is actually going on here. The first thing Jesus does is he reaches out to this man. He touches him. Jesus touches the person that no one else would. Jesus touches the untouchable. Now here's a question. As I read through that, I start just thinking, right? You know, as you read about what Jesus does, there's lots of different ways Jesus heals people. And some of them are really weird, right? Like he spits. He spits in the dirt and he gets it and he makes mud and then he puts it in people's eyes, right? Or he puts it in people's ears. So there's, Jesus doesn't have a one-size-fits-all way to heal people. He does different things depending on the situation. Jesus, in some cases, heals people simply by speaking a word. He doesn't even need to touch anything. Simply by saying, you are healed, Jesus can heal that way. He's done that. He does that in other places. So the question that I ask is, why wouldn't he have done that here? A a person with leprosy, right? Everybody knows you don't touch him. Why wouldn't Jesus have just, you know, reserved his no-touch healing for this one. (laughs) You know, different methods of healing. Which one am I going to use? It's a leper. I'll I'll use the no-touch version because that's what everybody knows is you don't touch someone with leprosy. But that's not what he did. He chose to actually physically touch this individual. Again, this is somebody who probably has not felt the touch of another human being in a long time. This person who has to stay away from everybody else and has to shout, unclean, unclean, don't get close to me. The way they wear their clothes, the way they wear their hair, everything about them says, do not touch. And then what does Jesus do? I think he's being very deliberate. It wasn't an accident. Jesus is is communicating, and he's always doing this. When he's doing something, he's usually doing more than what we think he's doing. There's many things at work, and often he's rebuking people, even in in his healing. He's, He's doing things. But here he puts his hand out, and he touches this person. I think that it's a very profound and a significant act, one of the most meaningful acts we find in our Bible. And just imagine if you were there witnessing this. People around. What would these people have been thinking? First of all, they might see the leper and they might be like, keep your distance. Don't get too close. You know the rules. Rules say, get away. You shot unclean. You move to that side of the road. So probably they're thinking that as the leper's getting closer and closer and closer and then they're probably like, uh, someone better tell Jesus that, that this is not supposed to happen. 
I just imagine the shock for, for the people who witness this. What they are thinking. As he comes even closer and closer and closer, and then <gasps> he's going to touch him? You heal a blind person, touch his eyes, fine. You want to heal a deaf person, touch his ears, great, do it. You come across someone with leprosy, do not touch. This guy's got signs all over him saying that. Don't touch. Jesus knows that, right? Wait, Jesus knows not to touch him, right? Guess not because that's exactly what Jesus does. <laughs> that is such a profound thing in that moment that Jesus does. Jesus doesn't play by the rules of the world. He doesn't do what everybody else is doing or the social conventions of the day. That's not him. That's not what he's about. Jesus does what no one else will do. He touches the untouchable. He loves the unlovable. He embraces the outcast. We can see the truth of this in this story, but you know how else I know that this is true? Because Jesus did the exact same thing for me. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, he did the exact same thing to you. Jesus embraced you. He embraced me. And I know that's a little weird because you look and you go, oh, I look like a pretty nice guy, right? I mean, maybe some of you think that. My kids definitely do. They think I'm cool. <laughs> They're like nervous, nervously shaking their head. No, like I'm a, I'm a pretty okay guy, right? Um, not too hard to love. You know, I'm not outcast. I'm, you know, it's fine. So I think I'm pretty good. I think generally we do. We think we're pretty okay. It's not a big thing that Jesus would love us. No, it is a very big thing. Deep down, you don't see what I see. You don't know what I know. And I don't know what you know about yourself. But Jesus sees everything. Jesus sees us in our worst. And yet he reaches out to us. He reaches out and embraces us. He loves the unlovable. He embraces the outcast, us. He touches the untouchable, me and you. The story of the mercy and the grace of Jesus that we see here, it is the leper's story, but it's also my own and it's yours. As followers of Jesus, he reached out to us. He embraced us. He poured out his love and his mercy and his grace into our lives when we didn't deserve it. That is the message of the gospel. That is amazing grace. That song that we, we, you know, we just sing, amazing, how amazing is it? <laughs> he reached out and touched me. He embraced me. That is amazing. That is the story of Jesus. So step back for a moment from what we just read here, the story of Jesus and this leper. We know that he, Jesus, 
He ministered in Israel for three years. He continued this work of embracing people, just like the woman we talked about last week, the leper, people who were in all sorts of problems and places in life. For three years, this is what Jesus did. And then as we know, he was crucified. And after his crucifixion, he rose again. And yet, with Jesus leaving in that way, that wasn't the end of this life-giving movement that he was all about. The movement continued. Though physically he had departed, Jesus' work continued. And that's because he left the Holy Spirit. And so we know the Holy Spirit is now with us here in this place moving in the hearts of people, and Jesus appointed appointed people called ambassadors or people who are representatives of him. Normal people, followers of Jesus, who now are the ones that carry on and spread this movement. Jesus started it. These people are carrying it on and, and moving with it. It's like when you run a race, and I don't know what it's called in Chinese. You know when they're running a relay race and you have the baton? I call it a baton. I think in the UK they call it the baton. What, what is it in Chinese? Like that, that stick. Yeah, okay, good. You know that stick, right? You run with it, you run with it, and then it's your time to give it to someone else who's now going to run with it. It's like Jesus did his thing and Jesus handed that and he's like, now you go. Your turn to run. So just normal people carrying this baton. And when I think about that, I, I, I think, wow, what a crazy plan that is. From Jesus, God in the flesh, to like some guy named Joe. <laughs> Just some average, normal guy or girl or anybody. It's like, now, Jesus says, I'm going to use you. <laughs> wow, talk about a responsibility, a privilege to do that. But that was God's plan. God's going to use normal people filled with the Holy Spirit to keep this movement going. We see this play out all over the place in Scripture where normal people are used by God to do pretty remarkable things. Um, One of the best examples, though, I think, is found in the book of Acts chapter 11. We're going to go there in a sec if you want to find that, Acts 11. Really quick, Acts, favorite book in the Bible for me. I love the book of Acts because I love stories. And Acts is all about the story of the birth and the growth of the church. The book of Acts, we see the Jesus movement growing. It starts with just a handful of people and it grows and grows and grows to tens of thousands. But the growth was mainly happening in Jerusalem. That's where it started. So it's right around Jerusalem where we see Christianity really growing. And then what happens, and we see this in the book of Acts, that this growth is followed by persecution. Because the people in authority, the leaders in authority, were threatened by the growth of the church, by the growth of this movement. And by the way, that still happens today. I would say that anywhere God moves powerfully by his spirit and there is growth of the church, it is a threat to the people in power. It just is. It happens all over the place. That's what was happening here. So the leaders are threatened, and so in response, they begin to persecute. They persecute the followers of Jesus. And yet, even in the midst of the persecution, the growth, the movement continues. It continues to grow. So that's the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, big inflection point. Everything changes here. Some of you might know, if, if, as soon as I say Acts chapter 7, there was a guy named Stephen. Now go in your brain and think, oh, Stephen, I've heard that name. 
What about Stephen? It was an inflection point. Something major happened at that time. Stephen, a leader in the church, he faces intense persecution. He is arrested. He is tried. And he is then put to death. He is stoned to death because of his belief in Jesus. He stood up to the authorities and he died in that moment. And you might remember somebody who was watching that death. You remember who was there watching it as well? Paul. That's right. At the time, he was called Saul of Tarsus because he, didn't, he hadn't met Jesus yet. He was actually persecuting the believers at that time. But Paul is right there with it. And, and Stephen is killed in that moment. And what that leads to is an intense persecution that, that breaks out against the believers. It breaks out, uh, breaks out against Christians at that time. What that then means is that the believers in Jerusalem are forced, because of this persecution, to move out into other cities, other towns, outside of Jerusalem. Because of the persecution, they are forced out, out of where they were. And yet, instead of being cowered by the persecution, instead of being afraid and being like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be quiet now, they do the exact opposite. They keep talking, in fact, even more. They keep talking about Jesus, even more than before. They actually double down They keep representing Jesus to to these people in these other towns and other cities. They keep embracing the outcast in those places. So that's how the movement continues, from Jerusalem outward. And it's an an example, and a really cool one at that, of God taking something that looks awful and using it for His purposes. God takes something that is really, really bad and he uses it for his purposes and his glory. The bad thing is, early church, Stephen is killed and major persecution of the believers. By all accounts, we would say, that's bad. That's really bad. And yet, what is God doing even in the midst of that? God is using this very bad to accomplish something that is very good. The movement out from Jerusalem to the world. Quick aside, parentheses, when something bad happens, don't forget, God takes the bad and turns it into something good. God is at work just like here, taking things that from our perspective just look horrible, looks awful, looks like it can't be part of the plan. How could this happen? And yet God is at work. God can take these things and turn them around to accomplish great purposes of His. Don't forget that when things go bad. At all times, but especially when things aren't going the way we thought they should, it's important to remember that God is at work. Often it's under the surface. Often it's out of plain view. God is moving, though. God is moving, using what looks bad to us to do great things. That's what happened in Acts chapter 7, as 
the persecution continued. Now let's go back there. Stephen, again, he's killed, people scattered, bad news for the church, and yet God is working. What's interesting to see is exactly how the movement goes about spreading. So if you have your your Bible, look at Acts chapter 11. We're just going to read two short verses, 19 and 20 of Acts 11. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Stop right there. So we see that at first, after the death of Stephen, you have the scattering that happens. The believers are going to the new cities and towns, and they are carrying this Jesus movement with them. But what are they doing? They're only speaking to other Jews. They're speaking to other people largely like them. This whole Christian movement, it started in Israel, in Jerusalem. Jesus is Jewish. He is the Jewish Messiah, right? So it's very natural that they would be continuing to spread this thing amongst Jews, amongst the Jewish people. They're spreading the message of Jesus largely amongst people like themselves. And then, though, in the midst of this, we come across these two short verses, Acts 11, and we we meet some random nobodies. Who are they? We don't know their names. All we know is that they're some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. Just some guys. They're going to the city of Antioch, and they decide to do something different. They're not content to just talk to the Jewish people, which is what everyone else is doing. But they looked around, and they saw a bunch of other people. <laughs> I, I just wonder, what is going through the, the minds of these, right? Like, they're, they're out, they're doing their thing, we're telling people about Jesus, and then at some point, was it one of them? Was it a group? But they're like, hey, look at all these people. Hey, do you think we should tell them about Jesus too? Like, how does that process work out? everybody's only speaking to the Jews until we come across these guys. And they're like, oh, maybe we should talk to them too. The Greeks. And here Greeks just means it's the same as Gentiles. In that time, there was only two people. There's Jewish people and there's Gentile people. So a Gentile is just someone who's not Jewish. Same thing, Greeks. Those terms can be used interchangeably. Basically, these guys are just seeing everybody else around. And they're saying, hmm, I think we should probably tell them about Jesus too. (laughs) Like he's good news for them too, right? These guys that we don't know much about, don't know their names, all we know is that they dared to touch the people no one else would touch. They dared to embrace the people no one else was embracing at that point. They dared to talk to people who were different, the Gentiles that no one else was talking to. And I think about these guys and these two words, vision and courage, come to mind. This idea that these people, they had vision to see what the others weren't seeing and they had courage to do something about it. 
They had vision to see what others don't. They had courage to do what others won't. They saw the Gentiles. And yet when they saw them, they didn't just see, you know, a group of nobodies that was getting in their way, right? Like we're supposed to speak to Jewish people, so get out of our way so we can do what we're supposed to do. No, they saw this group of people and they, they thought, hmm, maybe this is an opportunity that God's giving to us. This is a new opportunity. They saw a harvest field when they saw the Gentiles. And this harvest was ripe. It was ready for harvest. The people needed Jesus. And that's what these guys were able to see. So they had vision to see. They saw these things. But vision by itself isn't going to be super helpful because they had this courage that went with it. Not only did they see something that others didn't, but they had courage to act on it. They had courage to do something about it. Courage to speak. Courage to try something new. Would they have gotten backlash? I don't know. Would, would some of the people have been, wait, 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 why are you talking to them? We're all talking to the Jews. Remember, that's what we're doing. Why are you talking to them? I don't know if they received that kind of response from others, other Christians maybe but they had courage. Like, we're going to do this. No one else is doing it. We're going to do it. In some sense, you could say that they broke the rules in order to reach the broken, <laughs> just like Jesus. Just some random followers of his, normal people, guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, they had vision, they had courage, and they were used by God in an incredible way. 2,000 years ago, that's the way God did it. Today, that's still the way God does it. If you are a follower of Jesus today, then just like the leper that we talked about, you were an outcast. You were unlovable. You were untouchable. And yet, Jesus embraced you. Jesus healed you and now everything has changed. And if you were a follower of Jesus, then you too are like those guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, called now to be Jesus to the people around us. We're called to be Jesus to a new generation of Gentiles who need to hear about him in this city with vision to see what others don't, with courage to do something about it, to do what others won't. We are called to be people who live out the story of Jesus within Hong Kong. Last week, I had this little slide up, this, this whole thought of come to Jesus, just like the woman Right? This is like the leper as well. It's so important for us to come to Jesus in humility, in our weakness, with all of our problems, in our messed upness, we come to Jesus. That's step number one. That's where it all starts. Embracing Jesus, experiencing Jesus' embrace of us. That's the first thing. But I think today we could turn it around a little bit and now go further. Step number two, you might say, go take Jesus. 
Go take Jesus. Again, like these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. We experience the joy of knowing Jesus when we come to him, when we are embraced by him. We are given life. That is so awesome. And yet, we don't sit on it. The story doesn't end there. It's never supposed to end with us just like hanging out in church being like, oh, isn't it great that Jesus loves us? Yeah, (laughs) it's awesome. Okay, see you next week. (laughs) Let's get together again and we'll be like, yeah, another week we can talk about how great it is. That is great. We absolutely should be praising God, thanking God that we get to be together and be saved. But if we stop there, it's like we, we finish at step number one. It's like we went to a great big meal and we only ate like the first course. You know, we're missing out on some of the best stuff. Step number two, you might say, is that we don't sit on this, but we actually become the hands, the feet, the touch of Jesus to other people. We become the people who are now used. Normal, yes, normal. Average, yes. Who's average? Ordinary. (laughs) There might be some very extraordinary people here, but there's probably lots of ordinaries as well. (laughs) Okay, like me, very ordinary. We're not looking for superhero people. No, this is just ordinary, normal people who God says, I'm going to use you. You're going to be used by me to do great things. In my power, power of the Holy Spirit, that's how it's going to go. We get to be the hands, the feet, the voice, the touch of Jesus to people around. We get to be the ambassadors of his. Sharing the joy that we have with others so that they can experience it as well. We're going to end. Time's up. Um, But I I would like... What was funny about that? Was that funny? Um, we're going to just take a time to be silent really before the Lord and, and to reflect on, on this. Like I can talk a lot and I really pray that the Lord would be speaking, um, but that the Lord would speak to us about uh, who we are. And by the way, if you've come, you have no clue what this whole coming to Jesus is all about. How important it to know that you can come and experience the joy, the healing, the life that that leper experienced. You can experience that today. And if that's where you're at, man, after this, come talk to me, talk to someone else about experiencing that. So maybe you're in that place. Maybe you're in another place of going, no, I am a Christian and I have been a while, but it's a time for us to reflect on what it means for us to take Jesus into our spheres of influence, into the places where we live and work and everything else. Praying that we have eyes, eyes to see things new and courage to do something about it. And before we end, totally, I do want to say that it's super encouraging, the testimony of this church, because the, the fact that there is in existence a ministry to the refugee and asylum-seeking community here is a, is a wonderful example of this church having eyes to see what's around you know, you're doing life as a church, and then all of a sudden, God opens your eyes to see what is around. 
not only that, but you guys as a church, however many years ago it is now, had courage to do something about it. You guys said, let's do it. And the fact that there is that ministry that is happening, it is thriving, is direct result of that. So praise God for the faithfulness of EEC. And as we pray now, I think it's to think, not just to look back at the past, but to say now. God, how do you want to use us now? What, what do you want to show us now? Yeah, enough talking. Let's just reflect on um, what the Lord might be saying to us. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony that we're able to read in the scriptures of the work that you did, changing lives like the leper, the work that you did in using some normal, ordinary people to speak about you to others. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see new things. Give us eyes to see new things, I pray. Give us courage, I pray too, to go with you wherever you're leading us. Lord God, you are so worthy to be praised and honored and glorified by us, not just by the words that we speak, the songs that we sing, but by the lives that we live. Glorify yourself in us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.